You're listening to the Therapy for Women podcast with licensed therapists Amanda White, Fern Formel, and Gabby Salomone. Whether you're contemplating therapy for the first time, already in therapy, or reconsidering it, this podcast will empower you with tips, advice, and plenty of real talk so you can get the most out of your sessions. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Therapy for Women podcast. Hi, everybody. We're really excited because we have one of our therapists, Becca, here, who specializes in working with adolescents and young adults. So we're going to talk today about all the all the adolescent trends and young adult trends that she sees. So hi, Becca. Hi, guys. So Becca, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your credentials, uh, what you specialize in, and a little bit about who you are as a therapist and as a person. Sure thing. So I'm Becca. My specialties are LGBTQ, adolescence, and anxiety. Who I am as a person? What a fun, broad question. <laughs> um, I think one of the things that's like fun to talk about that like kind of definitely colors who I am a lot is that my whole life started in musical theater and I've been doing musical theater since I was like four, performing, studying it like professionally, all of that up until I graduated college. And then was like, that was really fun and traumatizing. I'm going to be a therapist. <laughs> so. Well, weren't you in an episode of House of Cards? My hand was. Your hand. <laughs> well, you were on the set if your hand was yeah. there, right? <laughs> yeah. I went to Towson University, uh, Go Tigers. And it was filmed in D.C. And they used like a bajillion people from our college, which was awesome. So. I wish it was a cool original fact, but most of my college friends are like, yeah, I was on House of Cards. <laughs> I guess that's a... Well, it's cool to us. Yeah, I was going to say, it's cool to us. I guess it's like one of those um, like unique like things for that area, right? Like yeah. being down at Towson and you know, that's what everybody's doing. That's what everybody's doing. Yeah. yeah. So how, Becca, when you said like musical theaters really colored your life and shaped you, how do you see that as showing up like as your work as a therapist? Well, first and foremost, sometimes I sing the things that I say. <laughs> but also I think that it like really helps it lend to me being my super authentic self. If there's one thing that like you need to stand out in musical theater, it's really being yourself and like being colorful and your personality forward. And another reason that I really like kind of came to this field was the fact that it did encourage like being your authentic self and also that it really is just another profession of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Like in this though, you're helping other people tell their stories and you're helping them kind of like navigate their own. And it's kind of this really cool, like collaborative environment that's not that much different from musical theater. But I really love how like I get to be myself forward and help people in this way of storytelling. Very cool. I love that. Yeah. Do you use that type of therapy in your sessions? Like, I guess what narrative? Narrative. Yeah, thank you. Therapy. Thank you. (laughs) You know, it's funny because I have a client who is currently in graduate school to be a therapist. And they're like, you're the definition of an act therapist. And I was like, cool, I guess that's what I do. Well, act is also very, though, like in the moment, exercises. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I see that. Yeah. Becca's like, yeah, I, guess, I mean, I guess. I, I don't know. 
How would you identify yourself then, Becca, like in terms of therapeutic orientation, scope of practice? I would say I'm definitely heavy on CBT because I work with anxiety. I think it's really important that we're looking at your cognitions and how it leads to your behavior, especially in terms of like intrusive thoughts, anxious thoughts, same with OCD. But I think that there is a really huge proponent of acceptance and commitment therapy. I'm a really big believer on like, you know, sometimes we can't change our situation and we have to change and that doesn't make us weak or worse off. It just means that we're learning how to adapt to our environment in the way that's best for us. So I guess that would good that summarizes it. It's so funny in grad school when they teach you like these are the orientations, pick one and you're like, <laughs> "Okay, I don't I'm going to do therapy." Becca, for you, what's it like to work with adolescents, right? Because not everyone does and certainly a lot of people don't like to for a variety of reasons. So, what's it like for you? I absolutely love teenagers. Like Point blank, period. I think it's really fun and really awesome just to kind of like get to have that sense of talking to adolescents and young adults and challenging them on some things that they may have not had the space to think about. Because if you think about it, when we're kids, we're living at home under our guardians, you know, what they say goes and we don't really question it. And then you get to those like adolescent, young adult years. And I love my man, Eric Erickson, and I love the stages of development. And identity versus role confusion is like a really strong thing. So the idea of like, who am I versus what I've been taught? And I really like helping people navigate that because it's anxiety inducing. The options are endless, really, if you think about it. So helping adolescents really like kind of figure out and come into their own is just like a really cool process. It's like creating a character. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's a really awesome perspective, right? Because again, I think people think of adolescents or even young adults and they're like, ugh, youths, you know. <laughs> and they I don't know, they think that they're a pain or they don't want to learn or they don't want to grow or whatever it is. And like, I don't know, in my opinion, I think that's the time of life where you're doing the most growing, just like mm-hmm. what you said. Yeah. For sure. Mm -hmm. It's such a powerful place that you can, you know, as a therapist, potentially intervene or support someone, you know, I think before some of the more permanent change or beliefs have set in. Yeah. Yeah. So Becca, we also wanted to talk to you about social media and how you see social media impacting adolescents and young people these days. What are the trends you're seeing? If I had a dollar for every time I said, get off TikTok, I would (laughs) retire tomorrow. Social media, social media is so great and it's so bad at the same time. Yeah. I feel like there has been a really large trend of talking about mental health on social media, which I love because it really helps destigmatize. But I think there's also this unfortunate trend of like needing a diagnosis to be legitimate. Mm -hmm. Like if you are struggling with something, you then need to have that diagnosis in order for what you're feeling to be legitimate. And so a lot of the times I'll see someone come in and say that they saw a TikTok and like this definitely has to be what they're dealing with. And I'm always really like, obviously I'm going to validate it because that's how they're feeling. Yeah. But I think it's really important that we also talk about like, okay, like what about the diagnosis part of it like feels really strong to you? Like, what do you want from that? What do you need from that? Yeah, don't diagnose yourself on TikTok. 
was going to say, that's what they teach us in grad school, right? Like, we go in and we're told, like, don't diagnose yourself. Don't diagnose your friends and family. There's a reason you shouldn't diagnose yourself. <laughs> you can't be objective yes, about yourself. Yes, like you can't be objective and that you can't be objective about your friends and family and that's why we can't treat our friends and family and that's why we can't treat ourselves even. Yes, a lot of people go into the field of therapy work because they're trying to figure themselves out and they think this is where they're going to it's going to happen, you know. And maybe it does, but also a big portion of it is like going to therapy yourself and doing the work with a third party that is non-biased, right? And non-judgmental in that phase. And they're not, they don't really have skin in the game to be emotionally reactive to things. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I think to a degree, self-diagnosis is totally legitimate. Like if you see something that you really identify with and you want to bring it to someone to talk about it, then I'm like, absolutely great. Like if you see this, bring it to a mental health professional, get a second opinion. But if you're going to watch a video by somebody with no credentials who says that if you black out when you drink you probably have cptsd which is a literal tiktok i saw no just complex ptsd for those who don't know which is a very serious diagnosis yes my favorite thing this is what i say to clients when they come in with this i go okay let's do one of these like five finger down things then ready okay Okay, so yes, this is such a good example, Becca, of like meeting clients perfectly where they are. There's such a strong trend on TikTok of put a finger down and then I'll tell you what you have at the end. So I love this. I love this. Yes. Yeah. All right. Okay. So everyone, fingers up. (laughs) (laughs) Put a finger down if you tend to get sleepier in wintertime. Put a finger down if you notice that you have just a little bit of a worse mood when it gets a little bit colder and you like warmer environments more. Put a finger down if it is really irritating to you when you don't get to eat on time. Put a finger down if you really like Coca-Cola. Put a finger down if you have white skin. Congratulations, you're a polar bear. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I love this, Becca. Glorious, Becca. <laughs> so, when you use that with clients, well, well, what are their reactions, right? Because like we're laughing, but I am curious what a client, like how a client responds. I think as we talked about before with like the authenticity, if clients are in my office, they know me. They know that this is what they're getting. They know that they're getting a lot of humor, but also somebody who's there to like hold their hand through the process of life. But they laugh because they're like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I see what you're doing there. I see it. Yeah, I think also it's important that I've built rapport with somebody beforehand. I'm not going to do that in an intake. <laughs> You're a polar bear. That is my diagnosis. I love it. Yeah. Love it. But I think it's just like a helpful intervention to remember, like, we can laugh at these things. Like, yeah. oh, you're right. It is ridiculous. And also, it's still legitimate. Like, you still felt those things. So mm-hmm. let's talk about it. Yeah. Makes sense. And I think, right, like the thing with um, self-diagnosis too is, you know, I think we all acknowledge it's it can be really hard to find a therapist. Not everyone has access to finances in this country. They don't have access to insurance that pays for it. It can be really hard to find a therapist or find someone who can give you that second opinion. And sometimes 
you know, that is, that's what you were saying, Becca, about it. social media is amazing and it can cause problems because it is democratizing information, which is amazing. But now I think we have this problem where there's, there's so much information. We don't know how to sort through it yeah. or figure out what is legitimate and what isn't. That's the new problem, right? It used to be there wasn't enough information. Now there's so much. How do you sort through yes. it all? Yes. And I think that's a big thing. And there's a big thing too of like, we'll just call them internet doctors, right? Or internet therapists that don't have the credentials behind their names to actually be doing the work with somebody. And they're, you know, monetizing on that very vagueness and Mm -hmm. calling it life coaching or something. Yeah. I think it's also important to note that, like, we have the credentials and we can't help you through social media. No. Amanda, mm-hmm. you're a great example of this. Like, you're there to help people, but, like, not at an individual scale. Like, you can't help right. people, like, with their personal, like, individual therapeutic needs. I think you do a great job with that on, like, Q&As when people are like, what about this? And you're like, talk to your therapist. I don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> I try. <laughs> right? This is why we all have, like, disclaimers up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you can be a therapist and not be someone's therapist, right? That I think is like an important distinction too. And I think the other hard thing about social media is, especially I, I would say on TikTok and YouTube is, right, like with the algorithm, and you probably see this more, Becca, with, you know, your adolescence on TikTok is right? The algorithm gets more and more and more intense. So if you like one video, you watch it, then the next one, then the next one, it can just radicalize you into deeper and deeper holes rather than just serving you a variety of mental health content. You're going to, you can get down a more extreme rabbit hole because of the way the algorithm is set up. This is not a visual medium, but for everyone, I am nodding my head and rolling my eyes at this because absolutely. And again, like, yeah, some of it's really great, but like, I think there's also, let's, you know what, let's worry this into talking about OCD. Yeah. I think it's really great, but also there's really things that it can be damaging for. So if we talk about OCD and we look at OCD and health anxiety, I'll see things all the time because I get those weird medical TikToks and, you know, a lot of the comments will be like, can you explain exactly how this happened to me? I have health OCD. I have health anxiety. I really need to like know. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is like not. Not beneficial for OCD. Yeah. <laughs> not beneficial. Not a good intervention. It's going to just really kind of like flare things up. And also, like, we saw there was an article that came out in, I want to say it was about the end of 2020 or 2021, where a lot of teenagers were developing tick disorders oh, yes. based off of content mm. that they saw on yes. TikTok, Yes, which is wild. But it really just shows that, like, all of these contents and these different things that you're seeing, you are really absorbing. So even if, like, that's not legitimate to you in the beginning, like, that's not your diagnosis, you might start to pick up on some of these behaviors and habits because being younger, sorry, teenagers, you're going to hate me saying this, you're more impressionable. Like you're going to see these things and you're going to really like try to absorb them because again, it's that trying to find your own identity. So all of these things can be like really damaging in a sense of like, you're going to pick up on things that you wouldn't have had the issue before or wouldn't have had the symptom before. And especially with OCD, like it's a great way to kind of 
freak people out and kind of give them new obsessions. I think that goes the same for anxiety too, though. Like I see a lot of young women, some of whom live alone, and a lot of them are like, I need to really have better personal safety. Like I saw this TikTok and there's this like Mm. bar that you should get for your door. I had that the other day and I said to a client, Mm. okay, do you have a lock on your door? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. So do you have a deadbolt? They said, yeah. So is there a locked door to the apartment building? And they sat there for a second and they're like, oh, there's several. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If That's at that point, point, if they get through all those locks, I don't think anything else is going to help. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's this, right? Like it's this balance of the internet also shows like really extreme cases mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. things. And trying to find that balance of, you know, taking care of yourself, doing what you need to do to be safe, obviously, but also not, you know, develop, like not doing things that then actively hinder, right? Like your life because safety becomes so important. It's taking away from your life. Yes. Yes. I think the one thing that's really important as an anxiety therapist on top of all my other specialties is reminding people that absolutely nothing in this world is in your control. It's a terrible thing to hear from your therapist. And I say all the time, I'm sorry that you pay me so much. And this is what I'm saying, but it's the truth of the matter. And the more that you can get comfortable with that, and the quicker that you can get comfortable with that, the easier everything really will be. And seeing content like that won't spark that kind of anxiety that it has been. And I think especially with adolescents, it's really scary because it's like, there's so many options, you know, they're going to turn 18 at some point. And that means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. So they're really grasping to try to find like what that means and what that looks like. And then if they see these things on social media, it's going to be even more impressionable because they're really, you know, trying to find the answers quickly. But I think it's important to kind of teach and show that like, nothing's really in our control. But Mm. that doesn't mean that our options are limited. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Becca, I guess like working with adolescents, right, that means then you have to work with parents. How do you intertwine parents in the work that you do? So we are so lucky to be in the lovely city of Philadelphia, where at the age of 14, adolescents have full medical consent, meaning that they get full confidentiality, parents are left out of it, etc. However, at the end of the day, parents are paying for session. Mm-hmm. Parents want to be involved. A lot of the times kids ask their parents to be there or the parents ask their kid to be there. So I do really like to involve parents, but right up front, very first thing at an intake, I will sit both of them down. I will go over the laws of confidentiality and what that looks like for the age of their child. And then I will remind them that at the end of the day, if anything you know, is important or life-threatening, I will obviously tell the parent, I tell the adolescent that as well. Like, if you tell me these things, this is safe, but together we're going to need to tell your parent. Mm -hmm. But then also reminding the parents that, like, this is their one space. Like, Mm -hmm. this is your teen's one space where they get to talk about things. It's really important for me as a clinician to have this be a really safe environment. And I think, again, if I had a dollar for every time my teenager was like, you're not going to tell my mom, right? I could also retire early. (laughs) But just really making sure that there's like that safe space to really talk about these things. And a lot of the times parents are really great and they really understand. And if like, I've never really had an issue navigating it with parents. Sometimes it's a little bit harder possibly to explain some things to parents, but I always tell 
my adolescence, like, I'm here with you. Like, if you want to come out to your mom, like, you don't have to do it alone. We could do it together. Just, like, you know, different things like that to really help kind of give them that sense of autonomy when they're in a space where they can't really be autonomous yet. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I think, too, you know, like you were saying, Becca, like, it is it is a hard line to walk with parents. And do you ever run into, like, how do you handle, because I think, like, social media being introduced and technology and all of that is like a really hot topic. Do you ever have to navigate that? Like do parents come in and have concerns about TikTok or concerns about social media? Or do you talk to your, the like adolescent clients about their parents' responses to things? Interestingly, I've never really had a parent talk about it. And I think it's probably because the parents who have teenagers now had social media like at the beginning of having kids. Like it was also something that they started to cultivate their own use of. Mm, It's not like for millennials where our parents are like, what's Facebook? And (laughs) my mom's Facebook profile is still the peanut custom person that you made in like 2012. Sorry, mom, just blew up your spot. I love I love boomers on Instagram on Facebook and Instagram. It's just so funny. The things that they post is like a zoom. My mom posted a zoomed in picture of like the dog's half face the other day. I was like, what is that? <laughs> Your mom, Gabby, is like our number one like fan on Instagram. She loves and comments on everything. Yes, she she's our biggest fangirl. Shout out to my mom. <laughs> She listens to all of our podcasts on her commute to work. Hi, Gabby's mom. Yeah, thanks for supporting us. (laughs) You you know what, though, Amanda, like thinking about the question that you just asked Becca about like any parents' concerns with social media and stuff. And Becca, I'm curious what you think about this. I don't see it as – I don't see parents having as many struggles around social media and technology with adolescents as I do with like young kids. Mm. Like, we'll say kindergarten to maybe middle school. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but Becca, what do you do you see that? I saw it in my old job where I was working with kids ages four until like 21. But not as much now because I'm really stuck to my teenagers. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely like a lot of concern. I think it's the same thing, right? Like it's ironic. Like parents see on social media – oh, it's really dangerous to have your kid on social media. And then they're like, oh, my God. And then it's like, think about the context of where you got that from. Right. They saw that on social media. Yeah. Probably. That's mm-hmm. what's so wild about it all. Yeah. Are you looking for some skills on how to improve your mental health? Therapy for Women has some great workshops and groups coming up this spring that I'd love to tell you about. First up, starting April 5th, we have a four-week DBT skills group led by Kat Hilton. DBT is a phenomenal resource to help you learn how to regulate your emotions, improve your relationships, and also develop healthy ways of coping. So it's going to be four sessions, totally virtual. You can take this workshop no matter where you live in the country, and it'll be 175 for the set of four classes. We're keeping this small, so you'll have a lot of individual attention, so be sure to sign up if you're interested in it. The other one coming up on Thursday, April 13th is going to be an anxiety and insomnia workshop. 
So if you are someone who struggles with insomnia, anxiety, your sleep hygiene, you're not going to want to miss this workshop. It's only $20. Again, it's totally virtual. So you can participate from anywhere in the world. And finally, Melanie is going to be doing the patriarchy's impact on pleasure. Also going to be a $20 virtual workshop coming up on Thursday, May 25th. She's going to be talking about how the patriarchy targets women and how it impacts our ability to feel pleasure and joy in sex. So if you're interested in any of these workshops, visit therapyforwomencenter.com slash events. Now back to the show. Right. I mean, it's really interesting. So one of my really good friends, she has girls that are just like starting middle school and they were very careful about introducing social media and introducing phones and stuff. And I mean, it's such a, I think about it as someone who's going to be a parent soon. I think it's so hard because you also want your kid to fit in and know what's going on. And what um, my friend was saying is, you know, they delayed a lot in it because of, you know, we know the mental health implications. There was a new study, especially that just has come out about especially teen girls and how detrimental, you know, suicide rates are up and depression is up in young women or young girls. And, um, but they, they also got into something where my friend's kids weren't, were being left out of like play dates and conversations and things like that, because all of them text and communicate, you know, via social media to, to set up plans. And then you're, so it's just, I don't know. There's no right or wrong answer. You mean no one has to call the house phone and be like, Hi, is Katie home? <laughs> the worst anxiety I've ever had growing up having to call someone's house phone and talk to their parent. Let's talk about a good intervention for social anxiety, though. Oh, my God. Yes, that is true, Becca. That was a good intervention. Yeah, we, you know, we could be like kids these days. They don't have to to call anyone. (laughs) (laughs) But then the worst thing, too, is if any of you guys had like your – my poor brother was often – people would start talking and think that he was me because he was four years younger than me. (laughs) He would have they would just start talking, thinking it was me. And then, you know, he'd have to be like, okay, I'm going to go get my sister. <laughs> they don't have to deal with that either. Yeah. I think an important part to that, both like Fern and Amanda, is like you can shield your kids from social media in your home, but you can't really shield mm-hmm. them from it altogether. Yeah. So yeah. I think like every parent's allowed to do what they want to do, right? Like I'm not giving anyone mm-hmm. like strict instructions, but at the end of the day, you can't block them from it. So it's important that you talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. Like it's important that parents are open with kids and talk to them about these things, even preventatively. And even if your teenager is like, oh my God, mom, I don't want to talk about that. Like it's still important to remind them of, you know, you don't need to lose weight. You're 15. It's fine. Yeah. And things like that. And really actively try to talk against some of the more damaging things that social media say. I think the one thing that like, I would say is super important that, oh my God, this makes me sound like a Fox News Republican. One of the like traditional family things that we've gone away from that's important <laughs> is just sitting down at the end of the day and like having dinner without screens. Oh, I love that. 
That is, yeah. Yeah, you guys were really scared of where that was going. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> I just, I didn't like the traditional family values because I feel like that's so heteronormative and like gender normative. But I just meant like talk to your kids and like don't mm. let the screen be at dinner time. That yeah. is the one yeah. thing that I was like say, yeah, makes that's me huge. sound like. Yeah, makes you sound like a boomer, but it's so important because that's where you can really have those conversations. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I feel for my nephews, you know, we only have two kids in our family and now they're not even little anymore. Like Mm -hmm. one is in high school and one is in middle school and it has just been them. So they've been like our whole world for like the past 14 years, uh, 15 years. And man, are we on them on social media. Like, we follow all of their accounts, even their fake accounts. <laughs> we screenshot things and share it with each other. Bobby! We want to make sure oh, everybody knows. That's on being an Italian from Delaware County. We <laughs> want to make sure everybody is well aware of what they're doing and what they're getting into and be on the lookout. Who's got eyes oh. on them? Uh, <laughs> Your poor... Poor nephews. <laughs> yes, yes. Poor, poor them. Uh, but they're also very spoiled. Don't, don't let them fool you. Uh, they get literally all the things, except privacy. Except for privacy, because <laughs> privacy is not allowed. For the fundamental thing. Privacy is not allowed in our family. None. But the big thing is, I was going to say about this is like, mm-hmm. we go to family dinner. We have family dinner somewhere. They don't have social media out. They don't have phones out. They don't have iPads out. They sit and they talk with us. Like mm-hmm. from the time they were little, they have been involved in conversations and talking and asking them things. And I think that really plays a big part in development and how they act even with their friends. Cause I see some of their friends mm-hmm. who can't even talk to us and it's, mm-hmm. you know, they have full conversations with us. They, you know, now have their, you know, phones or, you know, I guess one of them has like a phone that's not connected, um, but he like texts mm-hmm. and stuff. So, yeah. I think that's such a good point, Becca and Gabby, about, right, like you can't shield your kids, you can't protect them, but you can develop a good relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Just like you can't protect your kids from like, you know, what other kids in the school are doing or drugs or drinking or mm-hmm. and any of the other realities of the world. But your best defense is having a good relationship with them where they can come to you and you can process things with them so you know what's going on rather than them hiding it. Yeah, sure. I think it is so integral and so important for parents to not only like allow kids to come to them with questions but also admit when they don't have the answers mm-hmm. so in instances of like mental health if they don't have the answers then helping them find a professional and really like mm-hmm. allowing other people's influence and opinions I feel like a lot of the times parents are concerned that a therapist might say something that they don't like like a therapist might be like yeah you tell your mom she's the worst and it's like <laughs> I'm not gonna do that <laughs> like that's not how this works And it's, like, okay for them to get a different opinion. But, like, at the end of the day, I'm never going to tell an adolescent to not listen to their parents. Yeah. Are there other misconceptions, Becca, do you think, with, like – because I think that's one of the big ones that makes parents hesitant to bring their their kids or adolescents to therapy. Are there other misconceptions you see among parents that may prevent them from starting therapy? For sure. I think there's a lot of, like, this is situational – like, this isn't a... Yeah, this is a short term, not a long term. Yeah. 
I think mm-hmm. too sometimes you'll see like parents feel like it means something like it reflects on them like if their kid's Mm -hmm. struggling it reflects on them but we just spent the past 20 minutes talking about how social media is making all of these things really terrible (laughs) for teenagers like it's not just about the home it's about the environment that they're dealing with too and just because you can't shield your kid from it and just because your kid's like having any sort of mental health surrounding it doesn't mean that you're not doing a good job doesn't mean that you're not a good parent I think the stronger thing to do then is ask for help and allow your Mm -hmm. kid that other part of like getting help. You don't need to be a therapist to them. I think it's more beneficial and stronger for you to show them that like it's okay to talk to somebody. Yeah. I think then on the flip side, we should talk about the teens that come into my office and they're like, I don't want to be here. My mom signed me up for this. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's the other side of PA consent is that even though a child is you know is 14 right and they can consent for their own treatment they can their parents can also though say you're going to therapy even if they quote unquote don't consent to therapy Mm -hmm. and that's one of the things that people actually get wrong about the pa laws for consent around treatment is that a child can decline but the parent can also come back and be like no you're getting treatment like you need to go talk to somebody especially around like eating disorders and ocd i've seen that one a lot and because that is a very integral part of that work is the family-based work of it and like working with the parents and the child on the whole picture. Got to tell you, those are my favorite clients. Wow. That's surprising for me. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think it's so fun. I love when they're sitting there and they're like, I don't want to be here. And I'm like, okay, you think that makes me want to be here? Like two-way street. But I think those are really just the kids that, like, have more of a guard up, which is fine and Mm -hmm. legitimate. I think that's another part of, like, being authentic. Like, I understand not wanting to come to therapy. And then if some, like, 60-year-old woman comes out of their office and you're like, oh, my God, like, she's not going to be able to be relatable. But then all of a sudden you have this, like, five-foot little green-haired therapist wearing probably a Disney sweatshirt. You're going to be like, okay, that's not an intimidating person. (laughs) (laughs) And then that just really helps kind of like lend to that environment of being like, yeah, look at me. Like I have Lightning McQueen Crocs. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that that, I think, again, that's why we need different types of therapists. We need different personalities. We need different people. And it's why like we believe that therapy for women in people being themselves yeah. mm-hmm. because, you know, n- not everyone wants a blank slate yeah. cardigan wearing therapist. But yes, no, that is that is the nice thing I think about therapy for women is that we, as you said, Amanda, we are very focused on therapists showing up as their authentic selves. And I think that's what curates us for – maybe curates isn't the right word, but like it, it helps – the appropriate clients find us, right? That clients get to find a therapist, as Becca said, that they relate to, right? That maybe they don't find intimidating, that they feel comfortable with, that they can talk to. And in this case, like for you, Becca, because of who you are and how you are and how you show up in the space, adolescents are drawn to you and they do feel comfortable in talking with you. And I think, right, you probably wouldn't specialize in working with adolescents if that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. Very true. It's actually funny to say that, like, when I started this, 
my grad school professors all heard me say, like, I'm never working with adults. Adults scare me. Like, I don't want to work with adults. It's not happening. Um, but I do have some clients that are in their late 30s, early 40s, which is not my personal age demographic. And I was like, oh, my God, everyone goes through the same things in life. Mm-hmm. It's just important to remember, too, that, like, everyone really does deal with the same things and it is all kind of universal. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I, that was something that I, for sure, when I was like working with addiction, I used to be like, I can only work with people with addictions because I understand them. And then as I started working with more people, I was like, we all, we all go through this. We all, you know, struggle and don't know who we are and have vices and, and things like that. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, like, I look at your, your picture on like our website, right? And I okay, it's like, you got like a nice white blouse on and your hair is done. You got your glasses on. And sometimes I'm like, I wish we could redo pictures and be like, I want you guys to dress like you dress when you show up to the office, not like you're expecting to get your pictures taken just so we could show more like authentic selves. But that's a thing for another day. But I think that's something that's kind of funny. If you like look at our website, we have these professional photos where we got dressed up and you know our hair is done and things like that. But same majority of the time, that's not exactly what we all look like. <laughs> well, I think that's kind of what's nice also about for some of the therapists that have like uh, professional like therapy Instagrams, circling this all back to social media, mm-hmm. right? Like that you get to see, I mean, I guess depending on how you create that platform for yourself, you get to kind of see those more personal sides of your therapist, right? So even if you see a headshot on the website and you're like, oh, they seem a little like buttoned up, you can go to their Instagram you know, and some of our therapists are like sharing memes on their stories and mm-hmm. stuff. So like you do get to see some more personality of therapists too. And I think that helps when you're choosing who you want to go to. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So I was thinking too, Becca, talk to us a little bit about the differences maybe you see, because you also work with a lot of Gen Z clients. What do you see some of the differences are in working with Gen Z clients versus millennials or, you know, not to be super broad. I know that they kind of overlap and stuff like that. But what do you see as unique that you see in Gen Z maybe compared to other people in other generations? I think it's that aspect of having grown up with social media. Mm -hmm. How does that like impact them or mold them or like cause them to be quote unquote different? There's so much more access to information. There's just so much more access to information. You're getting information and you're getting inundated with it during the day. Like we all know that kids have phones at school. They all have their phones. They're like some teachers are okay with letting them use their phones like at the end of Mm. a class period, what have you. But it just means that there's so much more information accessible. Like I couldn't diagnose myself off of my Nokia flip phone. Like (laughs) we're not going to be able to get the same content. But growing up with social media, which is what Gen Z is more used to, just means that they're more saturated with all of these things. Pop culture is different. The early 2000s were, like, pretty damaging for body image. And that's when we really started to see more of the, like, self-involved themes. Dr. Kristen Neff, who is everyone's favorite, she's beautiful and amazing, she talks a lot about in her self-compassion work how there is an epidemic of narcissism in like Mm -hmm. 2010 to like 2012 of just Mm -hmm. like really kids starting to get 
saturated with like the pop culture and social media of like everyone be your unique self, which kind of led to this epidemic of narcissism of like, Mm -hmm. not only am I my own self, but I'm better than everyone else Mm -hmm. because there were so many things to compare yourself to. And then that led to really bad self-image. It like inflated our self-esteem, but it didn't really inflate like our overall self-image. Like we thought we were better than everyone else, but we didn't think that we were good enough if we weren't. So I think that growing up Gen Z has really kind of created that for people, like a lot of comparison, a lot of like, oh, well, X, Y, and Z is like this, I should be like this, et cetera. And then really just kind of makes things a little bit different. I think the one thing I do love with my like clients who are a little bit older is just like, it wasn't like that for me when I was a kid. And it's like, yeah, that was probably a benefit to you. Definitely. But I think really helping people, and by people, I mean like Gen Z, really understand that like social media is great. I love it. I'm on TikTok too much. But also that they should take everything with kind of a grain of salt. And it's about their individual perspectives that they give to the world and not what social media tells them. Mm-hmm. I think that speaks to being – and this goes for anyone, right? Not just Gen Z, but being a critical consumer mm. of all the information that we're taking in, right? Like whether that's – you know, a news story that you're hearing and paying attention to like where you're getting the news from and all of that, or it's someone saying, hey, if you have these symptoms, you're probably going to be diagnosed with this, or hey, you should do this because everyone else is doing it, or you should weigh 90 pounds wet because that's what's in right now, Mm -hmm. quote unquote. Like being a critical consumer, I think is really important. And that's what you're speaking to, Becca. Yeah, I think the other thing that I love, well, first off, the other thing I love just as a human, but also as a clinician is like capitalism sucks. But also say it again. (laughs) But also Amazon is so convenient. And I have Mm -hmm. two Stanley cups. And you know what? I saw that TikTok of that other cup that's leak proof. And I'm probably gonna get that too. (laughs) But just like reminding people like capitalism sucks, but there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. Mm -hmm. Point blank, Mm -hmm. period. So like understanding to be a critical consumer and question these things and all of that, but also Mm -hmm. not beat yourself up if you have a Mm -hmm. 10-step skincare routine that you stopped doing in 2022 because it wasn't trendy anymore. Like that's okay. Trends are okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Crocs will never die. That's such a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's that's why they're trends, right? Right. Like trends don't stay around for long. They're, Mm -hmm. They're trendy for a moment, a minute. Mm-hmm. And then the new trend pops up. I was just hoping that body positivity and body acceptance was going to last a little longer than it currently is, but that's yeah. a whole other story uh, that we don't need to go on that tangent. A whole other right episode there. we can talk yes. about. Yeah. A whole other episode. Well, yeah. And I think, I mean, it was so funny. I follow this person on Instagram and she she's like a skin person and she was talking about 10-step skin routines. And she was talking about how it's trendy and it's because, you know, influencers are selling you this and how skincare has become this hobby for a lot of people. And she was talking about how nobody is a toothpaste influencer (laughs) and no one show, right? Like all those videos of like showing your collection of all of the expensive products you have. And she's like, no one is being like, look at all my different toothpastes that I use for different (laughs) occasions. And this is my floss and this is my water pick. And it... It was just such a good example, I think, of just how trends without context don't – like, it's a trend because if you take the context away of the trend, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
But I do, I like what you say, Becca, about like, don't beat yourself up. Like, I, can, I think I can speak for all of us, as you just said, Becca, too. Like, we've all fallen into it. Like, there are all things we've been like, oh, maybe I would like that. Oh, maybe I need that. Like, mm-hmm. maybe that could help me. You know, whatever it is, whether it's Stanley Cups or 10-step, you know, skincare routine or something else. It's it's okay also if a trend speaks to you and you and you like it and you want to try it and – and then, yeah, in 10 months, if you've just got a bunch of skincare on your counter that's dusty and unused, that's okay too. Yeah. And I think hopefully we can also learn with social media and stuff like that. Just like everyone is selling us something, you know, and I think a really good rule of thumb is if you can't figure out how someone's making money, you are the product. Like your eyes, your attention are the product. Like that's what's being sold. So that's, I mean, that's the basis of social media essentially is our attention. For sure. I had that same, bringing it back to like the personal safety thing that we talked about. I had the same thing with a client where also after saying all that stuff about the doors, I was like, and two, like, what are they telling you you should buy? They're telling you you should buy the door stopper. Where can you find that door stopper? And at the same time, we went in my Amazon storefront. And I was like, yes, mm-hmm. there you go. Right. Or their, their mace or the, the keys with, you know, specific, you know, razors on them or whatever those, those cat keys are, stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is ironic because studies have shown that mace is the least effective personal safety tool. But anyways. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. That is a good fact. What is, I, what, do we know what the most effective one is? No, I don't think so. Maybe taser. <laughs> I was thinking like a taser. That would I. Yeah, that's what I would, that would think. be hardcore to walk around with. Yeah, yeah. Also, they're not legal to have everywhere. Yeah, yeah. But that's again, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. It's very easy to go down <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs> so, Becca, with with thinking about the clients that you see, whether it's adolescents or just young adults, and you know them coming to therapy, like if we're thinking about this in the context of social media and what people might just be struggling with with social media let's say they're not ready to come to therapy yet right they maybe it's not for them or whatever it is what would you recommend for either an adolescent or a young adult that is maybe struggling either with like social media influence use or anything like that Hmm. great question because it's so layered into so many different like possibilities i think if you're Mm -hmm. noticing I think if you're cognizant of it, like you're a teen who's cognizant of it and you don't like the content that you're seeing, you can change your algorithm. You can follow more positive content creators. You can kind of really curate it so that you're um, looking at better things. The one thing that drives me nuts as an adolescent therapist is when I hear, I was really toxic on social media, so I did a cleanse and I got off all of my apps for like two days. And I was like, okay, great. What'd you do after? Got back on and we're doing the same stuff? Yep. Yeah. I hate the social media cleanse. I am a vocal proponent of how much I hate it. I understand if sometimes you need to take a break, that's great. That's fine. But you really need to be focusing on your consumption all the time if it's that much of an issue. Mm-hmm. And like, if you need to, because it's so addicting, set a screen timer. iPhones come mm-hmm. with them. You can download apps on other phones that come with them. Like, really be cognizant of it. And like, remember that you don't need to. There is actually, I have a friend who's a high school teacher who just shared an article that I didn't get a chance to read that TikTok's like limiting the use to teens to like an hour or something. Interesting. Yeah, I think they're testing it, I think. Yeah. Which would be great. Which is great because 
that's what needs to be done. But also, there's nothing to say that a teenager is not going to lie about their age on the app. So, like, very, very, very true. Very true there. But just remembering, like, yeah, to limit your consumption. And then if you're starting to feel like you're really struggling, I think one thing that adolescents and people overlook if you're, like, really struggling and you don't know where to go, school counselors. School Mm -hmm. counselors are the best. Shout out mm-hmm. to all my friends who are school counselors and all the school counselors out there. They have the resources. They are trained mm-hmm. mental health professionals. They might not be able to do therapy with you based on the scope of the school or what have you, but they will absolutely have resources for you and help give you the best possible like options. Yeah. Good, Such good, plug. good recommendations. Yeah. Yeah. Especially and if you're a parent, you know, like encourage your child to go to the school therapist or counselor. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's actually how I ended up getting diagnosed, fun fact, is through my school counselor, who was like, something's not, they handed me a piece of paper that was like a diagnosis test for like OCD, and I don't think they were expecting the results back, and they're like, you should see a therapist, and I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, I think you're right, you're absolutely right, Becca, that they are such a great resource, and they're probably not utilized enough. I think it's a good point to say, like, they're a great resource, and they're usually pretty accessible to kids, so... Mm-hmm. Use them. Yeah. Use them, use them, use them. I think, you know, that's a big part of it. And, you know, if your child is saying, like, I'm struggling, I want help, believe them. Mm -hmm. Believe them. Yes. Seek therapy for them, right? Like, it might not, you know, be, quote, unquote, like, the best thing for your image, but it's not about you. It's about the child. Yes. And if you are struggling with it, it's probably something you may want to seek therapy about. Yes. If you're struggling with your child being in therapy, yes. you maybe need your own therapy yes. to support you yes. with that. Yes. Highly recommend, yes, that if your child is in therapy, you should probably see your own therapist too to talk about things. So, Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Becca, for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. We'll link to your Instagram. And Becca also has um, a really great workshop coming up. Yes. It's going to be... Becca really does a lot of work and specializes in sleep hygiene and anxiety around sleep, which is a huge issue. Um, So we'll link all of that info in the show notes as well. Thanks, Becca. Thank you, Becca, for coming on and talking with us today. And if you liked today's episode, please don't forget to uh, give us a five-star review and subscribe. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Therapy for Women podcast. To suggest a topic, submit a question, or find a qualified therapist, visit therapyforwomencenter.com.